Good morning. Good morning. This morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll finish up chapter 10. We'll start in verse 26. Okay? So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Before we start this prayer. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time just to come together, to worship you, to learn more about who you are, your will and your ways, um, just to allow you to speak into our lives, to lead us and guide us in ways that only you can. I ask that you would strengthen our faith in you today, that you would draw us closer to you, make us more like you each and every day. I ask you to lead us through this study, that it would be your words spoken here this morning, not mine, that you would just watch over us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, we're going to start off in Hebrews chapter 26, and we'll get through, or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, and we'll get through the rest of chapter 10. So do you remember where we left off last week? Sometimes God asks us to do things that are simple. In fact, most of the time God asks us to do things that are simple, that his commands are not burdensome. And so... But sometimes we can overcomplicate that, right? In our own lives, in our own heads. That, oh no, he wants us to do something else. Or wants us to do something bigger or tougher or harder. That's what would make me right with him. And the truth is that that's not what he's asking for. He's asking for us to do the simple things. <clears throat> but here today, we transition from that into um, a warning about deliberately sinning. So we've kind of gone over this in our study on Hebrews here, that there's a difference um, between coming in to the presence of God. That's not a salvation issue. And here, I don't think we're talking about a salvation issue either. I think the writer of Hebrews is talking to believers, and we'll go through that and why that is. But there is a difference throughout the Bible about deliberately or willfully sinning and unintentional sins. And so we're going to study through that and take a look at what that means. So we'll get started here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, There is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only terrible expectation of God's judgment and raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people 
It is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So I would say to you there, in what we just read, that this writer is speaking to believers, not unbelievers, and that's important to understand. I don't think we're talking about a salvation issue. I think we're talking about a willfully setting issue. Because he says we, and I would say to you that the writer of this book is a believer. So when he says if we continue deliberately setting after we have received the knowledge of the truth. And what is that truth? The truth is the gospel message that Jesus lived and died on this earth. A sinless life died an innocent man, but rose again three days later. That Jesus is God. When we believe that truth, that makes you a believer. So I would say to you that the author here is talking to believers. And that when we continue to sin or we deliberately sin, there's no longer a sacrifice that can cover up those sins, right? Because what are you doing when you deliberately sin? When you know something's wrong, but you do it anyways. What is that? You're telling God, you're wrong, I'm right, I can do this, it's not a big deal. Even though God's made it clear that we can't, right? So we're telling God that he is wrong. Does that make sense? And so you're trampling on the sacrifice Jesus made. You're treating Jesus' the blood of the covenant, which we learned about. This new covenant that we enter into, which we've gone through in the book of Hebrews, was put into effect by the blood of Jesus, right? So you're treating that blood, his life that he sacrificed for our sins, as common or unholy when we continue to deliberately sin. So what does that look like? Well, let's say maybe I'm a believer and I am dating someone and we're living together and we're having sex outside of marriage. And I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyways. I think that would be the deliberate kind of sin that that the Bible's speaking about here. Something to that effect. Does that make sense? Or I work at a job, but I'm going to somehow steal from that job or embezzle money from that company. I know it's wrong. I'm a believer, but I'm going to do it anyways. Right? Does that make sense? Those are deliberate sins. Now, we want to make it clear that this is not speaking that we're to live this sinless life. Because no one, this side of eternity, lives a sinless life. Right? But there's a big difference in our lives between willfully, deliberately sinning and unintentionally sinning, right? Does that make sense? That I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to fall short, I'm going to get upset, I'm going to do whatever it is in my life here on this earth. But there's a big difference between those things and deliberately sinning, right? The big sins, the... Um, the blatant sins, the ones that are obviously sins, there's no question about it, no gray area, and there is no gray area. Those sins are the ones we're talking about here. Does that kind of make sense? Okay. So, first, as we further look into this area, let's go to Numbers chapter 15, starting in verse 22. So Numbers is all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. And we're going to go to chapter 15, 
And we're going to start here in verse 22. Are you, not, are you there? Numbers chapter 15, starting in verse 22. But suppose you unintentionally fail to carry out all these commands that the Lord has given you through Moses. So Moses has given the people the law, right? With all the commands in it. But suppose you unintentionally fail to carry these out. You unintentionally fall short of the law or you unintentionally sin. So verse 23 And suppose your descendants in the future fail to do everything the Lord has commanded through Moses. If the mistake was made unintentionally and the community is aware of it, the whole community must present a young bull for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It must be offered along with its prescribed grain offering and liquid offering and with one male goat for a sin offering. With it, the priest will purify the whole community of Israel, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. For it was an unintentional sin, and they have corrected it with their offering to the Lord, the special gift and the sin offering. The whole community of Israel will be forgiven, including foreigners living among you. For all the people were involved in the sin. Right? So if the whole community has not followed some area of the law that they were supposed to, unintentionally, that they could be forgiven for that sin. They could make a sacrifice for that. So we'll continue on here in verse 27. If one individual commits an unintentional sin, the guilty person must bring a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. The the priest will sacrifice it to purify the guilty person before the Lord, and that person will be forgiven. These same instructions apply both to native-born Israelites and foreigners living among you. But those who brazenly violate the Lord's will, whether native-born Israelite or foreigners, have blasphemed the Lord, and they must be cut off from the community. Since they have treated the Lord's word with contempt and deliberately disobeyed his command, they must be completely cut off and suffer the punishment of their guilt. So do you see a distinction there? Do you see a difference there? There's unintentional sins, but then there's intentional sins. So those who blazonly violate the Lord's will, right? And so we could go through all 600 commandments here in the Old Testament, or Jesus summed them up for us fairly easily. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So when we do those, follow those two commandments, he said we sum up all of the commands and all of what the the prophets spoke to the people about. So, what is God's will? 
for us to love God and love everyone around us, right? right? So when we do things that fall outside of that, when we're not loving to others, we're not doing God's will. So now we can blazingly violate that. Now, does that mean that... Um, Maybe I am not as friendly to someone as I could be, right? It could be an unintentional sin, but then there's, I've gone out of my way to deliberately um, lie or slander or tell false witness against other people. Well, now I'm blazingly going against God's will, right? You see the distinctions there? So there's distinctions all throughout our life. And when we blazingly go against it, there is consequences for our actions. So to look at that a little further, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we were just here a few weeks ago, so I don't know that we need to go over all of it. But 2 Samuel chapter 11. So this is King David that we're talking about, right? David and Goliath, the young boy that fights Goliath and defeats him. And he gives all the credit to God that really God defeated Goliath, right? And that he trusted that God would take care of him when he fought Goliath. That he goes on through a long series of events to become king, but he patiently waits. He trusts in God. You know, he's known as a man after God's own heart. But then here we find in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that David blazingly goes against God's will. That David um, intentionally sins, right? That David willfully walks into this sin. I would say to you that at this time, the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding David as he leads the nation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit is leading him and guiding him away from this decision but he is blaspheming God, saying, no, God, you're wrong. You're lying. I can do this. Right? And that's what we do when we blazingly or willfully um, walk into sin. So we'll pick it up here. Second Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. They destroyed the Amorite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. He looked over the city. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed her purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. 
When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, Go home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 10. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. David arranges for Uriah's death. So, it gets even worse. And I say to you that this part, David is intentionally setting. He knows exactly what he's doing. God's made it clear that this is wrong. I say to you that the Holy Spirit is probably leading him and guiding him away from this. But he's telling the Holy Spirit, Nope, you're wrong. I can do this. I'm going to solve this problem on my own without following God's will, right? So blazingly and intentionally walking out of God's will. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructs Joab, station Uriah in the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops get so close to the city? Didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why, could you, why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in open fields, he said, and as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder the next time and conquer the city. Then Uriah's wife heard her husband was dead. She mourned for him. 
When her period of mourning was over, David sent for her to sent for her and brought her to the palace. And she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. So we read in Hebrews that on the witness of two or three under the law of Moses, that someone could be put to death, right? Could be stoned for breaking the law. And Hebrews said, how much worse would it be for those who willfully or deliberately sin? And here we're about to see what that means or what that looks like. So we probably agree that David willfully sins, right? He knows that what he's doing is wrong, but he decides to do it anyways. So chapter 12, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. And again, God likes to teach in the ways of stories or in parables, right? Because it probably has a bigger effect. And here it's going to have a pretty big effect on David. So Nathan tells David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised the little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. Well, that sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? This poor man has one little lamb and the rich man came and killed it. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs for the poor man, four lambs to the poor man for the one he had stole, and for having no pity. Then David then Nathan said to David, You are that man, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you, King of Israel, and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? Right? So when we were in Numbers, it talked about going against God's will, but then also ignoring his word. And what is the word of the Lord? That's the Bible, right? Or Jesus, isn't Jesus referred to as the Word in the beginning of the Gospel of John? Right? So. For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites and stole his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword. And because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own, this is what the Lord says. Because you have done... Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly, 
in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. You won't die from this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord by doing this, your child will die. So, we've been over that already, not that long ago. But you understand the willful setting or the intentional sin. I would say to you that that punishment that David's about to endure is pretty severe, right? There's consequences for our sins. So in Hebrews, where we, we'll go back to Hebrews chapter 10. But when it's talking about um, how much worse that punishment will be or how much worse those consequences will be than it was under the law, you can kind of see what that is, right? That's, that's a pretty severe punishment that David's going to go through. But he intentionally sinned, intentionally walked outside of God's will. And God is warning, do not do that. Okay, so we'll go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. We understand that he's talking about believers, the difference between willfully sinning and unintentionally sinning, that there's a big difference. We're not called to live perfect lives, but we are called to live lives where we do obey God's law, right? We follow him. We don't go into these gross sins, these overwhelming sins, um, we don't walk into those willfully or blazingly or without concern for God and his will, right? That's a big deal. So, Hebrews chapter 10, starting here in verse 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible sufferings. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule. You were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. And when all you owned had been taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things for you that will last forever. So, I find it very interesting. He says, think back to those early days when you first learned about Christ, when you first became a believer, when you were young in your faith, and remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible sufferings, right? So a few things that that speaks to is you think back to your early days and you're on fire, and even though you're going through tough times, your love for God is strong, your faith is strong, And not that it doesn't stay that way, but sometimes it can fade. Sometimes we can get into the mundane, the over and over again, going through the motions. So remember back your first days. There's other places throughout the Bible that will tell you the same thing. Don't forget your first love, right? So that's important. But I also think it's important that in those early days when they first learned of Christ, how they were met by these attacks, these terrible sufferings, I would say to you, these spiritual attacks. And oftentimes, I would say when you step out in faith in something new, that the enemy wants to come against that, wants to push you right back to wherever you were, right? So how do you get through that? We kind of went over this 
last week we get through that when we put on all of God's armor, not just some, but all of it. We hold up that shield of faith of who he says we are, that we spend time in his word. So we know when we have those thoughts in our minds, is that from God or is that from the enemy? And we can know that by knowing what God's word says. And we spend time in prayer regularly, always, consistently, right? We're always going to God for everything that we need. Remember all that? From last week. So. Verse 35. So Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 35. So do not throw away. This confident trust in the Lord. Remember. The great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. So, we've been over this quite a few times. So don't throw away that confident trust in the Lord, right? Believing that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, right? And we've been over a lot of those promises that he never, he's never going to leave or abandon you. That when we feel all alone in this world, he is always with us. And then don't let the enemy take that away, that he's not enough or not caring or doesn't pay attention. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. And he is right there to walk you through it every step of the way. And that the peace he offers is not like the peace of the world. It's a peace to go through the conflict with peace, right? Not an absence of conflict. And that that patient endurance is what we need so that we will continue to do God's will. So what is endurance? We've talked about this in the form of running. When I build up endurance, well, I have to go out and run and, or exercise or do something like that. But it's usually exhausting and usually tired. It's usually something that my body doesn't want to do. But when I continue to do it and do it, I build up this endurance that I can continue on a little further, a little longer, a little harder, right? But it's not easy getting there. But once I've gotten there, once I've gotten into shape, then I can do a lot more strenuous activities for a lot longer. And that's the same with our faith. Our faith is like a muscle. If we, as soon as something gets hard, we come back to the house or don't want to do that anymore we're not really growing our faith but when we endure we push through when our body physically when we're exercising is telling us to stop well a lot of times our mental stability is telling us oh no you can't do this don't do this anymore but when we press on not in our own strength but in god's strength we build up this endurance so to look at endurance Let's go to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. 
So Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. That doesn't sound like an easy thing. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they can help us develop endurance. So how do we develop endurance? How do we develop this strength of character, strength of faith, trusting in God? It's through problems and trials in our lives, right? When do you normally press into God? Usually when something's not going right and I need help. We should do it all the time, but that's usually when it happens. So verse 4, And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. So, what's the confident hope that we have? That confident hope of salvation is a guarantee, right? God's hope isn't a 50-50. God's promises are guarantees. So when we go through these problems, it helps to develop our endurance. But that endurance, trusting in God, develops our character. And what is character? Character is who you are, right? What do you represent? And that strength of character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. When we go through these tough times and we trust in God and he leads us through, we get to the other side, we say, oh God, you are exactly who you say you are. Your promises are true. Your promises are guarantees. I believe in you. And that strengthens our faith. That strengthens our character, who we are. And that strengthens our confident hope of who he is. That we can trust he is who he says he is. Make sense? So Hebrews, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll go back to verse 37. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. So in just a little while, the coming one, Jesus, will come and not delay. Some people think that God's timing is a delay, but God's timing is always perfect. It's right when it needs to happen. And my righteous ones will live by faith. So how do we please God? We live by faith, right? Faith is what we can't see. We trust in Him. Isn't that hard to do? Wouldn't it be so much easier to believe in God if He would just come down and talk to us? Just right in front of us. Here's Jesus sitting at the table with you. But just because you can't see Him doesn't mean that that's not happening. In your life, you know that He's with you always. Yes. And so whatever you're going through, he understands it. Why? Because he's faced all those same things when he was on the earth. But let's look. Well, 
Looking at verse 37 and 38, let's look at, let's go to Romans chapter 1. We're going to go to Romans chapter 1, then we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 33, okay? Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Are you there? Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Romans chapter 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish. So this being made right in God's sight, this being, well, this being made right in God's sight from start to finish is accomplished by, by what? By the work that you do, by your works here on earth. That's how you're made right with God. Is that what it says? Are you following me? Are you fact-checking me? It says, This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Not by works, but by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So how do we have everlasting life, eternal life? By faith. And what is that faith? By believing that Jesus is God, even if we can't see him. Do you understand that? That's how you're made right with God. And that you're being made right with God or being made right in his sight from start to finish all the way through starts with faith and it ends with faith and it's faith all throughout. You need faith every step of the way. So the hard times that we go through, that endurance that we're building is strengthening our faith, right? It's all about our faith, believing what you can't see. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 33. You know where Ezekiel is? Ezekiel chapter 33, we'll start in verse 11. So, we're coming off of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, where he says, And my righteous ones will live by faith. And Romans further explain that part to us. But then the next sentence of that verse says, But I take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. So God takes no pleasure in anyone who turns away. What is God's will? God's will is that everyone would believe in Jesus and be saved. That everyone would repent and be saved. That's his will. So we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, and take a look at that. 
So Ezekiel 33, 11. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn. Turn from your wicked ways, O people of Israel. Why should you die? So what is God's will? Is God's will that he wants to send people to hell or um, that he wants to get even, he wants to get revenge on people that have blasphemed him or gone against his will? No, no, no. God's will is that all would turn from their wicked ways, would repent, would confess, that would believe in his son and have everlasting life. That not just a certain few, but everyone, right? We already went over this verse. Everyone who believes in God will be saved. Everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. So let's continue on. Son of man, give your people this message. So God often referred to Ezekiel as son of man. So Ezekiel is a prophet that God is speaking through and he has a message for the people. The righteous behavior of righteous people will not save them if they turn to sin. Nor will the wicked behavior of wicked people destroy them if they repent and turn from their sins. So the righteous behavior of righteous people don't save them. It's not their works that save them. It's not that I did so many good things in my life, God has to let me into heaven, right? He owes me this. God doesn't owe us anything, and God doesn't fit into our box. The only way we can be saved is through faith. And once we believe in Jesus, and we willfully sin, there's consequences for those sin. And God is warning us that they're pretty severe consequences, right? So, we want to take that into effect or into account. But we're not talking about salvation because here God makes it very clear that his will is for everyone to be saved. He's not out to get anyone. Does that make sense? But he is out to correct or chasten those whom he loves. And we'll get to that here later on in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews. But he will correct those who are his children. Okay? But he's not out to get anyone that if people who live a righteous life think that they can do whatever they want because somehow the good things they did outweigh the bad. That's not how God works. You are made right with God by faith and faith alone. All the way through is faith. And that, yes, the works we do should be an example or a light and witness to the faith that we have in Jesus. To thus change life that we have through Him. Make sense? Yes? So... Okay, let's go back to Hebrews and finish up our study here. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We, faithful ones, whose souls will be saved. So the writer here says, We're not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction, but we are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Right? So their souls will be saved, and that salvation is based on their faith in God. Their faith in Jesus, that he is God, right? That he came down to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty that we deserved, and that when we believe in that, that he rose again three days later, 
we are saved. So there's one last place we're going to go. And that is to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. So wherever you're at in your spiritual walk, once you're saved, you're always saved. There's nothing that can take that away, right? You can make willfully, you can willfully make decisions that will have consequences, right? When we willfully sin, when we willfully walk away from God, there are consequences for that. He makes that clear. But he is also not out to get us, right? It's his will that everyone would turn from their sins be saved, that everyone would be living this righteous life. And we don't live a righteous life by doing all the right things because we are going to make mistakes. We live a righteous life by asking God to forgive us for our sins. First, admitting that we sinned, confessing our sins, repenting from them, and receiving his forgiveness, which is a removal from our record. We're set free. And that when we've done that, when we've asked him to forgive us for our sins, we're washed white as snow. We're washed white as snow by the blood of Jesus, right? Which is, doesn't seem like that works very well. If you've ever tried to wash your white t-shirts in blood, they usually don't come out white, right? That doesn't work. Yeah, they probably come out red, huh? So, but you're washed white as snow by the blood of Jesus. The work's already been done. It's not on the work that we do. It's on our faith and faith alone. But when we have this faith and we really believe that God is who he says he is, and we start to go through these trials, these tough times, whether with friends or family or whoever that may be, co-workers, work situations, life situations, we go through these tough times, but that, in, that increases our endurance, that strengthens our faith in him, and that, that strengthens our character. And our character is who we are, but how do we live our lives and the decisions we make? Now, my faith is strengthened, and it impacts how I live my life. I live a life as a light and a witness to God. I'm not saved by those works. I'm saved by my faith. But along with that comes making right decisions. But all of this, we're all going to fall short from time to time. And we're gonna, we have access to ask God for forgiveness. And when we do... We get to come boldly into his throne room, which is not a salvation thing, but a receiving all that God has promised to us, all the guarantees that he's given us, right? So, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. So God began a good work in you, and he will finish it, right? He won't just leave you as you are. But he's going to bring trials and tough times into your life to help refine you. He's going to allow hard times and hard things to come so that you will turn in faith and trust in him. In every situation, in everything we do. There's nothing we can do without him. We need him in every way, shape, or form. So when he allows these things into your life, it's not because he's mad at you. And it's probably not even because he's punishing you. It could be. And you could always ask him that. God, 
this tough time I'm going through in my life? Is there some uncorrected sin that I need to deal with? That is a great thing to ask him. But it's also possible he's allowing it so that you will draw closer to him. Right? And when we draw closer to him, it strengthens our faith. It changes our lives. makes us more like his son. Because this good work that he started, he will finish it. Make sense? Any questions? Not even from you. You always have good questions. You understood everything? It all makes sense? That's good. Do you have any questions? Comments? You always have good comments. Uh, I just have a comment from the very beginning when you started the study. Okay. <clears throat> when you used the example of living with your boyfriend slash girlfriend. Uh, you're saying that's intentional. If they're both believers. Oh, if they're believers. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's very important. I would, some people may disagree with me, but I would say the writer of Hebrews here in verse 26 through, you know, 31 is speaking to believers. Because he says, you know, we deliberately continue sinning. The writer's throwing himself in there. I'd say either the writer's a believer. And he makes it very clear that if we keep sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, and the truth is the good news about Jesus, right? So we've received that knowledge. We've received the truth about Jesus. We as believers deliberately sin. But there's a difference there. Now for unbelievers, yes, you're, you're right. There's... There's a difference there. But I'd say to you, even most time unbelievers know that that's not what they're supposed to do. Um, yeah, but believers slash unbelievers, I'm just saying there is a sin is a sin is a sin, right? Oh, yeah. So, and that, that's just an example that you brought up in the beginning. I think people do things and they know what's wrong, but there's forgiveness in all of it. There absolutely is. Okay. But the difference between the believers and the unbelievers is for the unbelievers, it's not about getting cleaned up or getting all your sins forgiven or all of that because your biggest sin is your unbelief in Jesus. Yeah. And until you get that straightened out in your life, that Jesus is God, the rest of it... Yeah, I just want no to... It's not there's no point, but there's, you can't get yourself all cleaned up and then I'll come to God. You come to God first and He'll clean you up. Yeah. I just am very um, careful because I think that um, I'm not careful. I shouldn't say careful. I believe that we, yeah, like kind of what you said, you, you don't have to get cleaned up before you come in. And I believe that Christians can mm, sometimes give Christian Christianity a name where they, they're afraid to come in the way they are. And that is where my heart goes mostly is... I think there is forgiveness in all. And I think... There is. There's no sin you can't be I'm, forgiven I'm, for. Yeah. There is. And we've gone over that. As I said to even... Well, Kylie last week. And... Joelle will probably know someday in life. There's things that are... That I, that I personally... Experience and have done. So... 
that is, I'm just saying, I don't want to, that's, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yes. Yes, but. But I was a believer also. Yes. Right? And there's forgiveness for it all. Okay. Right? Yes. There's no sin that you can't be forgiven for. Yes. So, okay. Good point. <laughs> no, 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 this is good. That's good. Go back to Second Samuel. That area of scripture you don't like? It's not that I don't like it. It's like I read it's so Yeah. He's pretty far, you know. Mm-hmm. He's very far from mm-hmm. having a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Well that's a good thing to point out. Far enough from God, there's no sin any one of us on this earth is not capable of. Mm-hmm. So when others judge others for whatever kind of sinful behavior they mm-hmm. maybe had in their past or, or whatever it is. There's no sin any one of us isn't capable of far enough away from God. And I'd say to you that David was pretty far from God at this mm-hmm. point to be able to do all this. Mm-hmm. But I find it very, very interesting. When I'm reading through Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I would say to you that when David said that, he said it out loud. Mm-hmm. And he's speaking to Nathan like I'm speaking to you. But God is there. God hears it. And then he's confessed that he's sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes. Now, Nathan is God's prophet. Nathan is God's messenger. Nathan is speaking from God. God gives Nathan the words to say. Nathan speaks them. So Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. What's the first thing? David confesses his sin. No more than confesses it. And what's the first thing that God says? You're forgiven. Right. Instant. Right, And these are some pretty awful things that David did. Mm-hmm. Instantly forgiven. So there's no sin you can't be forgiven for. Mm-hmm. The only sin you can't be forgiven for is your unbelief in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's, we studied that well, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Yes, go ahead. You said the only thing you can't be forgiven for is your unbelief in Jesus. But if people weren't believing in Jesus and then they decide to, doesn't that mean you're forgiven? Yes, but if you if you weren't believing in Jesus and now you believe in Jesus, what what has happened there? So I once lived my life this way. I lived a life where I didn't believe in, in God, right? I didn't believe in Jesus, and I lived my life really how I wanted to. But then at some point in my life, I believed in Jesus. What am I doing? I'm saying, God, I'm wrong. I've made a mistake. I believe that you are God. And that I want to live a life for you. And now my life is completely different from what I did live, right? Yeah. So, it means you're forgiven. Yes. So that is a forget. You can get forgiven. Yes. But if I live my whole life and I never believe in Jesus and I get to the end of my life and I die, I never believed in him, there's no forgiveness for that. That's the only unforgivable sin is an entire lifetime of unbelief in Jesus. Okay, so on your deathbed, you accept Christ. You're not dead yet. You can, well, no different than the thief on the cross. Think of him. So you have, a, you have the thief on the cross who on his deathbed, right, mm-hmm. hours before he dies, it says, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. He's confessing that Jesus is God. He believes it. What does Jesus tell him? Today you will be with me in paradise, right? Yeah. 
So you can be forgiven all the way up to the That's end. It's just a comment. I just want to make sure that. Oh, no. No, you're good. Okay. You're good. So, but there's forgiveness for all of our sins. There's nothing that we can't be forgiven for. But you've got to put the card first. I can't say, well, I don't really believe Jesus is God, but I want God to forgive me for these sins. It's the card first is I believe in Jesus. And I don't have to get all cleaned up to believe in him. I just need to believe. Mm-hmm. And God will take care of the rest. <coughs> so. Okay. Oh, see, you did have good questions and comments. Anything else? Okay. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you so much for this time to just come and learn about you. To be encouraged and strengthened by you. Lord, I just ask you to help us to be a light and a witness to you. That you would help navigate, help us to navigate through all the situations we're going to face this week. The trials and the tough times, the, the interactions with family, with friends, with work, with whatever it is. Schoolmates, with you would lead us and guide us through them. You would just speak to our hearts, help us to quickly come to you in everything we do, in every situation we're in. That we would trust in you, that we would, that you would strengthen our faith in you, that you would just refine us in ways that only you can. I ask that you would speak to our hearts this week through your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would just make us men and women who have a heart to love you and a heart to love those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.